Hey, it's Ian Altman. Do you want to connect with other people just like you looking to take your expertise and your sales to the next level? Then check out the Same Side Selling Academy. It's all integrity-based. We've got instructional videos. It's a private community in Facebook, so you can share ideas and collaborate with other people. Twice a month, I'll do a Facebook Live addressing specific questions so you can hear the actual language that I believe will help you drive success. And then we'll have extraordinary guests on on a regular basis as well to add additional value. The charter and founding members get a deal and a half, really just appreciating you for asking the questions, suggesting that I offer this stuff, and almost apologetically because it took me so darn long to launch it. So we hope to see you there at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesidesellingacademy.com or ianaltman.com and you'll see it all there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, it's a solo episode. And before I dive into the content, I just want to thank those of you who take the time to post reviews on Amazon for Same Side Selling and also those of you who post reviews and send in questions about this podcast. So the reviews on iTunes and the emails to ian at ianaltman.com, I really appreciate it and just thank you for taking the time to do that. really makes a big difference. On this week's episode, I'm going to talk about three core concepts. First, the idea of demos. Are they a friend or foe? And if you're a technology-related company, as many companies are these days, are demos a good thing or a bad thing? Then questions versus statements. And then how do we effectively break habits that maybe are holding us back in our business? So let's dive in. When it comes to demos, very often, especially less experienced salespeople, believe that their goal when they first reach out to a client or prospect is to get a meeting. And if they're a company that sells any sort of technology or product, they very quickly believe that the best thing they can do is then move to a demo. So then I can show them all of our stuff. And what I will tell you is that demos, I believe, oftentimes do more harm than good. And that may sound counterintuitive. So if, for example, if you're someone who provides some level of financial services or some level of, let's say you're somebody who helps people solve tax issues, you can come in and show a demo of your approach to how you solve issues. But I don't think that's the best use of your time. And if we show a demo of technology, there's a pretty good chance that the client is going to get fixated on the one or two things they don't like about the technology because at that point, you're not showing them the demo in the context of their issues. You're just showing them the technology waiting for what used to be called the puppy dog clothes. Well, the puppy dog clothes was this idea of you go to the kennel or the pet store and they say, oh, you want to go play with the puppies? And you go in and play with the puppies and, of course, the puppy licks you in the face and they pee in the corner and they, they're wagging their tail and they're, they're so happy to see you. And then they say to you, oh, and the puppy is thousands of dollars. But now that you've fallen in love with the puppy, of course, you have to take the puppy home so you figure out how to pay for it. Well, in today's B2B world, the puppy dog clothes isn't all that effective. And so the puppy dog clothes isn't a tool we can use. So why are demos so dangerous? And why do I often say that demos can actually hurt a deal more than they can help? Well, 
if you start showing a demo, the assumption you are making with your prospect is that I have this great thing, and once you see it, you're going to conclude that you need it. But that isn't reality. See, the first thing we should figure out is, do we have a good fit between what we're good at solving and the needs that client has? And is the problem or challenge or issue they're facing worth it for them to find a solution? Then I have to understand, well, what does success look like? So imagine we're six months from now and you've got a solution. What would it look like? How would we know it's successful? Well, once I get that information, then I can determine if our product is effective to help address those issues and achieve those results. And if not, it's probably not the right product or service or solution for them. So years ago in my prior business, we were a reseller of a software product from a third party. And all of the other partners used to complain that it took the better part of a day to actually go through and do a demo which seems like a ridiculous amount of time to demo anything. It was a very complex piece of software. And we were one of the top performing companies in the world at reselling this software, yet our average demo was 20 minutes in length. And so at an international meeting for the software company, one of the partners actually raised the issue to their CEO and said, look, it's ridiculous, the demo takes too long. And Brad, who is the CEO, says, so Ian, let, let, me, let me ask Ian, so Ian, how long are your demos? And of course, everybody cringed because they knew we were the top producing reseller. And I said, our demos are roughly 20 minutes, maybe a half hour. And of course, in the back of the room, you hear people say, oh, that's BS, no way. And he said, well, how is that possible? And I said, well, we just spend 20 minutes showing the client the three or four things that they need to know to make an informed decision about whether or not our product will deliver the results that they need. And one of the other partners in the back says, well, how do you know what those are? And I said, we ask. See, if we don't jump into the demo, then we get to start by saying, look, I don't even know if our product is a fit for you. I don't even know if you can accomplish what you need yet. Is it okay if I ask you some questions first? And my questions are going to be, what problem are you hoping the software would solve? And what happens if you don't address those? Those correspond to issue and impact. Then we get to say, well, so let's say we implemented the software. What would success look like six months down the road? Now I've got an idea, and so does the client, about the issue, the impact, and the results. Then I get to ask the following question. So what are the three or four things that you would need to see so you're comfortable that this product can do what you need it to do. And now I get to demo just the three or four things that matter most to them, not the things that might matter to somebody else. So don't start with a demo, and a demo shouldn't be the goal, but instead think about how we uncover issue, impact, and results, and you'll have plenty of time for the demo. The next topic I want to talk about is this idea of questions versus statements. So oftentimes, you might be talking to a prospect and you see something going on in their business. And so, for example, they're talking to you about an issue they're facing and you see that that issue is having a major impact on their business. And you might say to them, well, gee, you told us that you have this problem in your supply chain and you can see right here how that issue is costing you millions of dollars a year. And what I would argue is that 
the last thing you want to do is make a statement because your clients will believe half of whatever you say, but 100% of what they say. So as you're rehearsing, as you're practicing, as you're role-playing, anytime you make a statement, your peers or colleagues should say to you, hey, try and say that same thing as a question. Restate it as a question. So it's kind of like playing Jeopardy. You want to try and make every statement as a question. So instead, if they, let's say, had a supply chain issue that was potentially costing them millions of dollars, you could say, wow, that seems like a serious issue, is it? And let them say, yes, it is. Wow. I mean, you couldn't quantify the impact of the organization of that, could you? And let them discover it. Because once again, they'll believe 100% of what they say and only half of what you say. So don't put words in their mouth and sound pushy. Instead, ask the question and be okay with the fact that maybe, just maybe, the issue isn't as big as you thought it was. We used to do a lot of work in the pharmaceutical industry in my prior business. And we had a member on our team who was the expert on medication error reduction. And he knew all the statistics for the United States in terms of what it cost when there was a medication error. And he also knew that the most efficient hospitals in the world had an error rate of about 4% for medication errors, and your typical hospital had an error rate of 19%. Yep, roughly one in five. Now, don't get too worried because what that means is that it could mean that you were supposed to get ibuprofen liquid and instead you got it in a, in a pill. Or you're supposed to get a capsule and you got a tablet. You're supposed to get it at 5 o'clock, you get it at 5.20. So most of the things aren't that serious, but nonetheless, that's how many errors they track, and that's the standard in the industry. So we were in Beijing, China, as part of our global licensing program, talking to a hospital that saw a million patients a year with an average of 15 doses per patient during their stay. So you're talking about 15 million doses. So in a typical hospital, they would have roughly 3 million medication errors. And in a highly efficient one, they would still have about 600,000 errors. So we asked the medical director, we said, well, gee, let me ask you something. Do you track your medication errors? And they said, yes, we do. We said, okay, how many did you have last year? And he said, six. Not six million, not 600,000, six. Well, my expert was falling off the handle, and he says, well, that's crazy. Six is impossible. And I said, Jim, just relax. Relax. And Jim kept saying, well, that's not possible, and you couldn't possibly do this. And I just asked him to sit down. And I said to this medical director, I said, wow, that's really impressive because your typical hospital has an error rate of 19%. The most efficient hospitals in the world with all the automation to check everything has an error rate of about 4%. But you're at something that's well below 1%. What's your secret? How are you guys so good at this? And how are you figuring this out when no one else can? And by asking enough questions, eventually the medical director asked the translator to leave the room. When the translator was out of the room, the medical director, who hadn't spoken a word of English, closed the door, came back to the table, looked to his left, looked to his right, and said, well, in perfect English, we may be under-reporting. But we could have kept trying to argue with them all day long, but it wasn't until we asked enough questions that they told us the truth 
that we could then move forward and have a serious dialogue. And so questions are way more powerful than statements. And if you find yourself making statements, then role play and tell your colleagues, look, if you're using same side improv, anytime I make a statement instead of a question, just hold your hand up and say question. And then your job is to restate what you just said as a question, not a statement. The last point I want to talk about is this idea of habits. So I was working with an organization and they said, wow, you know, we we had this immersion program and it's been a month and our team is getting better, but they're still not great at it. What should we do differently? What we have to remember is a couple things. The first thing is that when you learn something new, you are probably first having to unlearn something you've been doing for quite some time. So it's not so easy just to pick up a new skill unless you reinforce it. So the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the habit that's a bad habit that you want to change. Then I have to give you an alternative. So if I said to you, for example, look, I notice you're being too pushy in sales situations. Stop doing that. You're probably not going to change because I haven't given you an alternative. If instead I said, look, here's the way we want to disarm early in the sales process. Let's practice that. Now what I've done is I've given you a substitute or replacement. Instead of being pushy, let's start our conversations this way. Then what I have to do is I have to commit to a regimen where I build that into a habit. And the way I do that is through practice and role play. So that way I'm building muscle memory around using those techniques, which will make it so that I'm less likely to fall back on my old habits. And then what I need to do is measure the impact or or results I get from that new behavior, which kind of reinforces my brain that it's okay that I don't do it the old way, that now the new way is better. So remember, demos, bad. We want to make sure instead, do we have a good fit? Is the problem worth solving? And what kind of results is the client looking for? We want to use questions instead of statements. And why would we want to do that? Because when we ask questions, we get people to think a little bit differently, and they believe 100% of what they say, but only half of what we say. And then when it comes to habits, we need to make sure that we can replace it with an alternative, and then reinforce and practice that to get better results. Thanks again for posting your reviews and asking your questions, because that's how we get content here. Remember, our show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should have in the program... If there's a guest you think we should feature, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.